you had brought a sex toy to a partner Mm -hmm. and they were like, I'm not comfortable with this. It was a remote control vibrator. We were at dinner. Maybe it was too much. I thought it was funny. I thought he would enjoy it. And I was like, dude, I just pulled out a fucking vibrator for an egg that's in my pussy. And you were like, "Mm, I'm going to stick to scallops. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. I was so embarrassed. Yeah, it was it was awkward. What's up and happy new year. Yes, it's close to the middle of January, but we haven't spoken since 2021. So boo, happy 2022 to you. This is Lovers and Friends, a podcast. My name is Shan Boudram. I am the hostess with the mostest passion for sex, love, relationships. Maybe not the mostest. I know that you have the passion, which is why you are here today. I've been working in this space for the past 15 years as a sexologist, as a journalist, as somebody who in general is very enthusiastic about every single person feeling empowered to call themselves a sex expert. Because yes, you have pertinent information about your body that nobody else has. So you are an expert. You know how to give yourself pleasure. You know how to respect your boundaries. You know how to do the damn thing for you in a way that nobody else does. And my job is to empower you with the language to express that to other people, to open your mind to the possibilities of other things you could also be into. And lastly, to big you up. So in this episode, I have the lovely Wheezy WTF from Horrible Decisions and also a slew of other incredible projects. I could be like, my podcast is about sucking dick and hoshin. Girls are literally like, yeah, and we need to normalize it. Men will be like, well, when are you going to stop and grow (laughs) out of it? But before we look ahead, let's get into the now. And right now, I have a very important question for you. So today, I want you to answer this. Can you get exactly what you want sexually without taking away something from what your partner wants? And if you can't, should you really care? Just tell me what you want from me. I mean, I had a plan. I had a plan, but now I don't. And I have no idea what to do. And I'm trying to figure out what the right thing is to do, and I don't know what that is. I just, because I need you to tell me. I need, just need you to tell me, okay? Can you just tell me, please? Can you just tell me what, what do you want me to do? Lovers and friends. Lovers and friends. I'ma take you on a trip, baby, I don't pretend, I said. Lovers and friends. Uh, I'ma hold you down, down to the end, I said. All right, all right, all right, let's kick this tang off. Actually, before we do that, there's something that I want to share with this community. I want to share with my lovers and friends podcast community that I'm pregnant. There's the pregnancy gas to prove it. Anybody who's been pregnant, you know, you burping like a motherfucker. So um, I'm actually only 10 weeks pregnant, which is before you're supposed to share the news. But I found it really difficult to be authentic in this work uh, without sharing that bit of information. So as I was doing interviews over the Christmas break, I would be saying things like, I'm you know, I'm not that energized for the new year. Or I would say things like, I'm going through a really deep lull in my sex drive without the additional information of because I'm pregnant and feeling nauseous and extremely sick and I'm really tired. It was very difficult for people to understand where I was coming from. And this podcast is about being an authentic conversation, vulnerable conversation. So I choose to share that with all of you. I don't necessarily choose to share that with my other online communities just yet, but here I know that I can trust that regardless of what the outcome is, because if you are still in the first trimester, there's still a lot of uncertainties. And so regardless of it, I want to be in conversation with you and I want to share that experience and process with you. And also I want your pity. I didn't do a podcast last week because I was too sick to do it. And I want you to understand that. And speaking of sharing, so this episode, I went to my community as per usual to ask you to reflect on this topic about advocating for your needs in the bedroom and how that can be awkward at times. And not only did you guys respond, you responded in droves. I have never gotten so many audience submissions and they were all really different. So I thought I would do something different this time around with the intro and do like a mailbag Q&A resp- I don't really know what the section is called but this is what we're doing so I have a real bad problem with not speaking up during sex with my partner he was asking me like what do you want me to do while I was literally rubbing my clit with my vibrator and as he was giving it to me I'm just 
didn't know what to fucking say. Oh, wait, this is what I want. But I couldn't even tell him because I was just so flustered with all the emotions I was feeling. This one spoke loud and true to me because this is why I do the work that I do. We live in a world where the most common bit of advice you're going to bump into about sex and relationships is the key to great sex and a great relationship is killer communication. Full stop, end of sentence, walk away, drop the mic, you're done, pack your bags up. And what people fail to actually realize is that communication takes tools. We need examples of how you effectively communicate. And to do that, we need language to frame these discussions. And because we don't talk about sex and relationships, people don't have the language to describe their feelings around sex and relationships. It's kind of like when you eat something that's like unlike anything you've had before and someone's like, what does it taste like? And you're like, kind of like chicken because you just don't have the word to describe what that is or more to the point when you're in an argument with somebody and they're like what do you want what are you feeling what do you want me to say and you're like I don't know but the truth is you do know you just don't have the language in that precise moment to effectively describe that to somebody else well that happens in sex more often than it doesn't happen because few of us are given the tools to descriptively describe what it is that we like and how we want someone else to perform that on us. So I'm a very big fan of instructive websites because what they do is one, they show people step-by-step because you might know what you like, but you're like, I'd actually never thought to break it down before. So when you see it broken down, you're like, oh yeah, steps one and three are totally my shit. I don't do four, but six, seven, and eight, yeah. But then it also pairs that with language. So there's a website that's called omgyes.com that I love because it has 12 different ways that women orgasm and it describes them with words like orbiting. Another one that I really, really like is beducated.com. I enjoy being called names during sex, often really derogatory names. I enjoy a lot of dirty talk and I definitely struggle with how to bring that up to my partner. Listen, hashtag same. I don't want to say hashtag me too. I'm going to say hashtag me twosies girl, we're the same on this one. I can completely relate to this. Um, In this particular kink or desire, what we have to also understand is that people are coming from the opposite conditioning. So a lot of cis heterosexual men in general have been told for a very long time as a result of feminism and just decency that calling somebody derogatory terms is a sign of disrespect and it shows that you don't value the person. So when we're in an intimate relationship where we respect and value somebody, it can feel very counterintuitive to use this language. So I have found in my relationship, because I also enjoy what you enjoy, that it isn't just a matter of saying it once, um, but it's being an ongoing dialogue with them. And furthermore, sometimes the power of suggestion has to be backed up with examples. So showing videos, maybe even doing like direct references of what you want. I mean, another really helpful way to start this discussion is the introduction of safe words. So your partner knows that they are free to play and go and you'll let them know when they've hit a boundary of yours because their fear might be doing something that you say will make you feel good will actually make you feel bad and cause a conflict. I'm saying all this to say it's a very specific answer to this, but in general, what we have to understand about advocating for our needs in the bedroom, it's often not going to be a one sit cut and dry conversation but instead the start of a dialogue. And if you are open and excited about that ongoing journey, I think it can be really beautiful for everyone involved. I went on the journey to experience sex without any emotional attachments. And I realized partners that I'm not emotionally connected to and have no emotional investment in me are a lot less patient and a lot less likely to care about taking the time and doing what I want. All right. I wanted to respond to this one because I disagree. And it is fucked up for me to say that because I can't disagree with your experiences. Your experiences are yours. But what I wanted to actually say is I think I could offer you a different way of looking at these relationships because my relationship with my husband started out as a strictly fuck buddy relationship. And I always differentiate between fuck buddy and friends with benefits because we weren't even friends. Like the only thing that we cared about was, are we having sex that we enjoy? I don't care if you feel 
empowered to get that job promotion tomorrow. I don't care what you ate for dinner. I care what we're doing in this moment and if I liked it. And so, yes, when it comes to that kind of dynamic, when there is no additional care for somebody, there can be a tendency to get lazy about their pleasure. That's when it's an amazing opportunity for you to practice doubling down on advocating for your needs because you have nothing else to lose and furthermore nothing else to talk about as like a person who like i've been hypersexual but like i've been a virgin it's really hard for me to like talk about what it is that i like and don't like because i tried masturbating because they said that i had to like know my own body and what turns me on and what doesn't but then I can't masturbate because it doesn't feel right. All right, this right here speaks to the invisible question in this dialogue. We're talking about how do you tell people what you want in the bedroom? And this is really saying, how are you supposed to know what you even like in the bedroom? And because this question is often invisible, people are can get pretty lazy with the response to it. And as this uh, person noted, whenever they have brought it up, people are like, well, just masturbate. And that is a tall glass to order for somebody who has years of repression and shame around self-pleasure to the point that it's very difficult to enjoy. Or furthermore, to individuals who just do not get turned on by the idea of it or just don't enjoy that. What they like out of intimacy is the partnered play. It is the interaction with somebody else. So masturbation just doesn't do it for them. And for those individuals, I would say there's a lot of ways to interact with other people from a safe distance. One, watching porn, obviously ethical porn. Two, educational videos or the sites that I mentioned like omgs.com or Beducated where they're offering step-by-step and often video tutorials. And lastly, there's creative ways where you can mutually masturbate in the presence of someone else, not the physical presence. Sometimes it can be the digital presence, but that way it is still an interaction that's happening, even though you're using your own hands or your own tools and body parts to stimulate yourself. It is through the excitement and the presence of somebody else that's fueling the interaction. When I mentioned this on dating app that I geek out on everything sexual health and intimacy related, guys really often assume that it means that I'm down to fuck, so they sexualize me pretty fast. I will start by saying that I am a very chill and reserved person. However, I love BDSM. In the past, when I've brought this up to partners, they're usually very surprised, and it often changes the dynamic of the relationship. And then BDSM becomes my personality, it becomes the most interesting thing about me. All right, so obviously I relate to this one as a sex educator who was single and who was online dating. I definitely bucked up against people interacting with what I do for a living in the wrong ways. And that does leave a question of, do I share this with people or when do I share this with people? And there's no cut and dry response to that. I think the real question you have to ask yourself is, how intrinsic is this part of my life to getting to know me overall. One of the best bits of advice I ever got from an online dating expert is people need to utilize weed out factors in their profile. People are so focused on how to attract the most amount of people possible, but you have to also worry about how do I discourage the wrong kind of people as efficiently as possible. That makes your experience overall just better and prevents date or burnout. So if there are parts in your profile that you can put in that are either one, going to make people turn off altogether, or two, it's kind of like a trap to see how they're going to respond. And then from there, you can make a decision on yes or no very quickly. On the flip side, for the person where it's not a big part of what you do overall, it's really truly just what you enjoy in the bedroom. I would say this be a thing that I would divulge when I thought it was completely necessary. There is a principle called the Goldilocks principle that essentially talks about self-disclosure in relationships. And there can be this new push of like, be vulnerable when you're dating, be an open book. But studies actually show that that isn't one, the healthiest formation of a relationship or two, maybe even healthiest for the individuals. It's about 
gradual, mutual, and logical divulging of parts of yourself. And the Goldilocks principle essentially states that if you do too much too soon, you can have an adverse effect. If you do too little and don't open up enough, you have an adverse effect. So you have to really feel your way through it and divulge parts of yourself as it makes sense to the relationship. And it just might not make sense on the first date to be like, I like tying motherfuckers up and flogging them as they recite Beyonce lyrics. My experience is that I'm trying to be a sex educator and sex therapist. That's my long-term goal. I feel like I'm a lot more explorative, a lot more open to doing so many things. And he is less so. But I have have had the experience of having to protect a man's ego by not wanting to share like, hey, you are licking or sucking it too hard. I would say that I do struggle with telling my partners what I need in the bedroom during sex because majority of the time, the only time I can have an orgasm is if I'm using a vibrator and using that stimulation directly on my clitoris. So I have a hard time expressing this to my partner because I don't want them to feel less than. I could go multiple rounds and still not see anything and won't have an orgasm. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, ladies, uh, we have to talk. Um, I have to just tell you guys, you know, me being a man, and, uh, you know, hosting a podcast with three other men, nine times out of 10, when we are not doing what you like in the bedroom, it's because we don't know. We don't know. Uh, we just, you just got to tell us. You got you to gotta tell us what you like. And I think a lot of times people are afraid because they don't want to offend or bruise their partner's ego. Well, baby, let me tell you, if he ever finds out that you've been faking an orgasm the entire time that you guys have been together and having sex, that will bruise his ego a lot worse than just a one-time thing of just like, hey, this is how I get off. Can you do that for me, please? And of course, there are ways to deliver that message. And if you are interested and wanting to find out how to deliver that message and come over and check out Enjoy the Podcast. Thank you, Jared, for hopping in on this one. Okay, without further ado, can we move into our special guest who is really special to my heart? I just adore the work that Wheezy does. I adore the way that we get to collaborate together as co-sex educators um, in a space that can be really competitive. And I've often told her this, that like she's just one of the most supportive, kind, loving, and uplifting people. And that shows in the work that she does. She owns a studio where she empowers other people to start their own podcast and utilize their own voice. And so please check out WTFmediastudios.com. I've actually recorded some podcasts there. Actually, the interview you're about to hear was recorded at WTFmediastudios.com. Um, in addition to that, Wheezy is also half of Horrible Decisions, the incredibly widely popular sex podcast, also hosted by Mandy. And Wheezy is also a part of For Facts' Sake, For Facts' Facts, For Facts' Sake podcast. That took me so long to say that. For Facts' Sake podcast. And last but not least, she is a TV star and the host of Sex Cells on Fuse TV. But before we jump into that, let's head to this. All right, so we're here to talk about something that I'm very passionate about, but you are experiencing and have been experiencing, which is being a sexual educator who has sex with new partners or is open to having sex with new partners. And so you're constantly being bombarded by people's reactions to what you do for a living and how it's going to relate to their life personally because they might have sex with you. That to be said, do you tell people what you do for a living or do you try and delay as long as possible because you know they're going to project so much onto you? Delay. Mainly for the questions. Um, to be quite honest, <clears throat> opening a studio has like really helped me like get rid of the fucking question of what do I do because I'm just like, I'm an entrepreneur. Mm. Or I just say, um, I work in podcast production, which technically I do. It's like, I, you know, I have a new job. I'm head of audio But you're also production. a TV star. I mean, girl, I'll be forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) No, like there's a lot of other shit now. And frankly, it's sad because, you know, as someone who should be proud of it and not saying I'm not, it's just exhausting to like have to elaborate on. Yes. Um, I just had a client come in, older white guy. He was looking to start a company, a podcast for his company, like a LinkedIn type of company. Mm. And when he asked me about my experience and how many listens I get, I knew what was coming next. 
the thing that really is my quote unquote claim to fame is horrible decisions. Yes. But particularly with that, I remember thinking like, oh my God, he paid X amount of money for this consultation. And now he's going to be like, oh, well, it was a sex podcaster that taught me. You know what I mean? But I mean, shit, as we see, call her daddy just got 60 million. Somebody would want to probably take a class from that girl to wonder how she did it. So I think it's kind of shitty, but there are moments where I do want to hide it. So to answer your question in short form, yes, I delay it. So in a business sense, you want to hide it. What about in a personal sense? No, not necessarily. It depends. Sometimes I'm boasting about it. I think it just depends on the audience and who I think will be able to take okay, the information. Okay, so where do, you, personally, where do you commonly meet people? Like, where's the number one spot that you would meet somebody? Um, I would say probably like out at clubs and or dating apps back in the day. Okay, so you met somebody at a club. I haven't been on dating app in a few years. The two of you vibed. You had a yelling conversation for three minutes, decided you wanted to exchange information. They ask you, what do you do for a living? What do you say? I work in podcasting. When do they get to know that you work in podcasting and are a sex expert who's a TV star? Maybe a date. Like on our date. I'll on the date. Them. But one, like, I don't like being like, I have a TV show. We could say I work in TV. You know what's crazy now that I'm thinking of it? You know, like when you, I don't know how you grew up, but when you don't have money, it's like you want everyone to see it. Mm. Like I remember having a pair of Louboutins that I fucking wore to the ground and I didn't have the $900 that they cost. Some dude bought them for me. And now I'm very reclusive about like what details I want to give someone. And my friends have been boasting me up in public more. Like this really cute guy hit on me and he said, what do you do? I said, working podcast. And he was like, okay. And my homegirl was like, this bitch ain't shit. Okay. Let me tell you what else she does. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Especially because podcasting is something anybody could do. So that doesn't say anything to anybody. It is. It's There's like me saying I'm a YouTuber. That does not scratch the surface. I mean, myself and a seven-year-old have that in common and I don't have anything in common with a seven-year-old. Actually um, made a commitment to myself maybe six years ago to constantly tell people what I do for a living and to say it no matter if I was in an Uber, if I was in an elevator, if somebody asked what I did sex for educator. a living, I would say that I, I talk about sex and relationships publicly. And no matter what, because I knew that every time I said that, it was a projection show. So whatever people felt about their own sex life or their own relationships, they would project onto me. If they felt confusion, they would try to make me feel confused. If they felt shame, they try to make me feel shame. Oh my God, this makes so much sense because I feel like if I met someone that told me that, I'd be like, girl, yes. Yes, you'd be hyped for them because you're excited about that part of your life. But I realized the importance of doing that because I want to be a path paver for future generations because I think it's the weirdest thing in the world that I tell somebody that I talk about sex for a living and they treat me as if I study the cracks in hardwood floor. <laughs> like, how did you come up with that? Like, it's how you were born. How did I come up with it's that? It's how everybody was born. It's what you hopefully did last night. So- it's this notion that it's an obscure, odd thing to do for a living, and yet it powers so much of what we do. Hmm. So for that reason, I wanted for me to say it. So the next person who says it in an Uber, the person's like, oh, I met a girl once who does the same thing. And they wouldn't be subject to the third degree in the same way that we are. Do I, I appreciate that, that. And honestly, it's not that I felt the responsibility more so than I think I just maybe have to work through how I feel about it because I'm still understanding how confident I feel in that space as far as like being able to say I'm a sex educator. But I think maybe the dialogue is sometimes... Which is fascinating because you've been a sex educator from before you did it publicly. I know, which is weird that I didn't even understand that. Or maybe I thought I needed a piece of paper to tell me. I think also, I don't even know how to have that dialogue yet sometimes with people and explaining it if I know they'll be unsure opposed to the person that I may get the vibe is excited about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I interviewed someone that worked at the Pleasure Chest, which is a sex store in New York. And I said to her, like, do you know, can you read it on people who's going to come in and be cool? And she said 90% of the time, yes. She's like, someone walks in, the way they walk in, their smile, or if they look interested, or even if they don't need help and they look open, she's like, I can tell. And then others, they look like they want me to completely leave them alone because they're so embarrassed they're in here. Yes. And I think those 10% of people much like the consultation I did, I was worried of how he would view me. Mm -hmm. But that's 10%, which is the fascinating part. I think that things are changing so much. I mean, I'm older than you and I've been in this space now for 15 years, which is a <sighs> stupid sentence. But I started at 19, now I'm 36, right? And the change I have seen in the general public's perception around sexuality in general has shifted in ways I could never predict. In my experience as a dater, people were not comfortable uh, acknowledging me as an expert. Even, and I always ask, get asked that question, like, as a sex expert, do men find you intimidating? And I was like, absolutely, but I would never have sex with those men. I could tell right away if I said to somebody, oh, I talk about sex for a living, and they'd be like, where did you go to school? What's your title? Blah, 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 blah. And then they'd be like, well, so what makes you so good in bed? Like, mm. okay, I see what's going on here. This is a dick show. And I'm not comfortable because I don't, I don't want to. Good in bed shit is annoying. 
Oh, it's very annoying. Someone I slept with recently said that to me and it pissed me off. We'd been fucking for months and he's like really well endowed. And he made a joke when like, I was like, oh, or like made a noise. Like, okay, miss horrible decisions. I was so annoyed. Oh my God, I was so fucking pissed. Like, oh great. Now I can't take dick and I host a sex show. Yeah. But like, it's huge. Like, I'm sure the biggest pussy in the world would still be like, that's a lot. So fuck you. Now, granted, I laughed it off and it's not that big of a deal, but it's those moments where someone meets you and they do say that. I've already been sleeping with this person. I feel like we had the um, rapport to do that. But when people have said things to me about wondering if my sex will be good or be assured, like assured that it'll be good because of what I do, that makes me feel like shit. You know what's fascinating? Think about it. I just had this epiphany because when women talk about their sexual experiences, they talk about the performance of the men. When men talk about their sexual experiences, they talk about if they killed it. Or like, I killed that shit. Or I made her orgasm 17 times. Like, it's an eye-focused thing where women be like, he was amazing in bed. He was so fantastic. So I think that the notion for you as a woman who's great in bed, which I imagine you to be, um, and you are. Would you, are you comfortable saying that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to like toot my arm, but fucking beat beat. Like, would a man afterwards... You know, if a friend asked how was the sex, would he say, oh my God, she fucking crushed it. She killed it. I had to literally remove a section of my last podcast with a friend of mine. I slept with his friend and he goes, Wheezy, I heard you a demon. And as excited as I was and as much as I like was loving to hear that, which did I go ham a little bit because I knew he would tell my friend? Probably. However, I had to take it out because I was like, you know what? This makes it sound like I almost led him to that question. Like I'm begging for someone to tell me how good I am in bed on my fucking show. So I took it out. I don't know that you have something to get over with that. I think you have like a minimization complex. Really? You minimize what you do for a living. You minimize your performance in bed because you don't want to feel like you're boastful, but it's not. It's just the facts. That's it though. That's probably why I want them to always have a sex podcast. Like, let me let you think I just was born to suck dick like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not like, oh, it's tried and true from horrible decisions. Fuck. Well, let me take this and put it into like a micro because even if you're not a sex expert and you don't publicly do this for a living, there are a lot of women in particular who have put the time and work in. If I go to classes to learn, it's 90% women who are in those classes who are like, I want to become a better lover. About, oh yeah. Right. In general, if you go to pleasure, cha- pleasure chest, okay, majority okay. of the people who go to their shop are probably going to be women. So this is an area that a lot of women have said, I want to get better at and I am comfortable investing my time and my dollar in that process. So the point I was making is that there's a lot of regular people who are becoming more educated and empowered in this space who are afraid to bring their knowledge into the bedroom because their partner might be intimidated by it. That's very true. Think about when someone doesn't want to bring their A game in the beginning. Yes. What would you say to people like that? In terms of your own journey and your experience as a public sex educator who people already make assumptions about you. Well, to be honest, it's funny because like as much as I quote unquote hide it in the beginning... I think that for me, one thing that I do like doing is giving my, putting my best foot forward with sex because I really like to please. And I think that it's just a better experience all around if you do put your best effort in. You know what I mean? I feel like so many times we have such a shitty first experience. So I don't know why, if all of us know first times can be awkward and weird, why we wouldn't want to counteract it just by being better in bed. And I don't think it's, at all a problem to bring your quote unquote A game. Like a lot of people always talk about how you can suck dick too well in the first try. Like, why not? Yes. You may not suck his dick too well. Like I know men that love hands, men that don't. You know what I mean? Balls, some not. Some with nibbling. Like you may not be the best at giving him head. Like everybody's penis involved is different, right? So who knows? But I do think that putting an effort insects makes you a better lover already. Do you think it also helps to inform? Because you just said anecdotally uh, before that you had brought a sex toy to a partner Mm -hmm. and they were like, I'm not comfortable with this. But because of the fact that you brought your comfortability and you brought what makes you feel good and you brought that pleasure to the person and they rejected it, did that actually help you to say, oh, I guess we're not sexually compatible? I mean, we have amazing sex, which was what really sucked about that. It was a remote control vibrator. We were at dinner. Maybe it was too much. I thought it was funny. Everybody, like, I always think it's a gag when someone has the remote and, like, you're squirming. And, like, I thought he would enjoy it, especially considering, like, he's watched me use toys. So I was just really floored. But I don't know. Like, I've been questioning that a lot, too. Like, does this mean I'm not sexually compatible with this person if I'm missing that one thing, but the sex is great? In that moment, did you experience any shame? Like, Oh, my God, I was so embarrassing. 
So embarrassed. To the point where when I came back from the bathroom, he was like, why are you running from this conversation? And I was like, dude, I just pulled out a fucking vibrator for an egg that's in my pussy. And you were like, mm, I'm going to st- stick to scallops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I was so embarrassed. It was awkward. It led into like a lot larger of a conversation into him feeling like he wasn't enough for me sexually, which I never felt like he wasn't. So I don't know. I'm actually really pleased that he did that. Because that's a completely fair. You know what I was a great communicator. There's nothing wrong with in the moment being like, this is too much for me at this present time. Because at the end of the day, there's so many things that I had to read about. I had to watch videos about before I thought to incorporate it into my own sex life. So sometimes when we bombard somebody in that exact instant with something they'd never even heard of before in that moment, their immediate response is to reject it. That's okay. But if they can say, not like, you're a slut, you're dirty, because that's the other projection. I feel uncomfortable and weird. And as a result of me feeling inadequate, I'm going to make you feel weird about it. I I agree with you there. I was embarrassed, but his response was very mature. Very mature. I think that like, definitely he shouldn't have done it if he didn't want to. Yes. And I'm not going to lie, Jan, like, I don't really feel like I brought it out the craziest time. It was like the check was coming and we were about to go fuck anyway. But I think though... To that, to that point about and like- And we were a little tipsy. Does this inform me of whether or not this is a compatible partner for me? I think the fact that he was able to admit his own insecurities rather than project that onto you says this is a compatible partner. So I think if you're somebody who you're comfortable in the bedroom and then you try something with a partner and they reject you, but that rejection comes off as a weird minimization of you, that's when to me, you're like, you know what? Now I know that you and me should not have a sex. I, honestly, you're right. Like when he said it to me, I felt like, okay, this is great. But I think for him, then he was like, oh, shit, like she's going to feel like she can't tell me about this or she can't do it. You know, and that was really what hurt my feelings because I was like, now it's on his mind. Yeah. So it sucks because this is someone I want to keep fucking. And now I feel like I ruined it. I don't think I ruined it at all. I ruined it. You didn't ruin it. I pulled out a fucking vibrator and basically it was it was in me for three hours, Shan. I didn't, he was stressed about work. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to ring it up. And once he finally got loose, then I ring it out and you're like, Ugh. But I think that he just said, not right now, not me. I had me. to go take it out. You didn't have to. I, you could have <laughs> kept it in. You could have just pressed play on your own. To oh, relax yourself. This is why I took it out. This is even funnier. I wanted to pay for the drinks or something. So I went in my purse and I hit the remote and my fucking pussy started vibrating. Oh, amazing. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> oh, this is why we got into a conversation. I was like, I set it off on my own. I guess I'll go fix it. And I went to the bathroom and he was like, oh, this bitch is mad. Yeah. Oh, so embarrassing. Oh, that was my top five. I don't know if I have five. I, I'm not embarrassed too often, but that was up there. I didn't even tell anyone yet. So you also have sex with women. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference in the way that women respond to your expertise versus how men respond to your expertise? Women think I'm saving the world. (laughs) I mean, like, girls are literally like, I could be like, my podcast is about sucking dick and ho shit. And they're like, yeah, and we need to normalize it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Men will be like, well, when are you going to (laughs) stop? Like, (laughs) grow out of it. Like, for one, I think it's because as women, we probably all have an uncomfortable moment about our sexuality where men is are taught to be proud and showy about it. And girls are like, eh, should you? Um, I think one of the most memorable moments I had, I was at the Cubby Hole, which is a lesbian bar in New York. And this girl came up to me, said she knew me from Horrible. So a girl I was flirting with was like, what's that? And I was like, oh, it's my podcast. It's a sex podcast. And she was like, wow, I work on fucking Wall Street. I'm embarrassed now because she said her job was boring. Oh, okay, fair enough. And I was like, wow, like you think when you're younger, like New York and Wall Street, that must be like the dream job. And this girl looked at me like I was the fucking... Holy grail. Yes. And I really appreciated that. And that was one of those aha moments of like, okay, I'm, I am doing something good. That was a while ago too, but I'll remember. She's like, ah, my, like, what the fuck? Why was I even talking? And I don't think men could do that. Mm. Have you ever had sex with somebody and afterwards they said, you are phenomenal. You know what you're doing. Yes. Both times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so you're right. I am like, for sure. Um, the one that I remember... Actually, it was the guy that I'm talking about. And he said my first name. I was going down on him. And he said, okay, Gila. Like, okay. And I was like loving it. It was like making me like gag more. (laughs) But um, I I thought that was great. And I remember with a woman after we were done, she says, I take it back. And I was like, what? And she was like, well, technically you didn't know. But I was in my group chat always saying you're a fake lesbian. Yeah. What's the best reaction a man's ever given you before to what you do? Actually, The best reactions I have are always men that work, quote unquote, industry or entertainment Mm. because they understand the wildest clips they'll see of me 
are, even though the story could be true, are performative. And they understand that this is work and me talking about my sexuality isn't a bad thing and that I make money this way. Whereas I've noticed with quote unquote regular guys, not that, you know, one is worse than the other. They can both make the same amount of money. I'm not be Simone here, but (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't believe she said that. But anyway, they will more so want privacy or kind of not even shame me for what I do more than the world knows. Do you often feel like you come into scenarios where you know more than the other person does? Yeah. And does that reflect in the sexual experience in terms of power play? No. Um, I'm super submissive. I don't mind if someone doesn't know quote unquote fin dom or whatever. Like I love being able to teach people about those things. I think it's fun. Um, especially having conversations. I remember recently with a guy, he was like, have you ever heard of cuckolding? And I was like, of course. And he was like, oh my God, tell me, have you interviewed somebody about it? He was genuinely intrigued. Those kinds of things are fun when I know more. Um, but I haven't really had an inexperienced partner in a while. I'll say that. I've just been lucky. On a more granular level, a lot of women are uncomfortable directing their partner in the bedroom, telling them what they like, as if it's embarrassing to say, I know how my body works. What advice do you have for them? I think that we all laugh about fake orgasms and how we shouldn't be having them, but you have to actually be the one to execute that. Like I've definitely in the past have faked it just so it could be over, but then we're part of the problem because then they think their dick is fucking amazing. You know, if you're, if you're fucking um, people with penises, but I think that the way to do it is you've got to do it instructional, like in the act. Like I don't actually think, and, and, and some can disagree and I don't know how you would go about it, but I don't think it's good to talk over dinner. I think it's better when you're going down on me to tell you what I like, mm-hmm. because then I can say it in a moany way and like give you a bunch of praise when it feels really good or via text message in a sexting way. For example, men that maybe want their women to use less teeth, either sign a sexy video or tell them that you want um, them to wrap their lips around, t- make them really tight. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Yes. I think if you make it in a sexting way, it's okay. Yeah. A lot of people think about talking about like sex. erotica. They got to say what they don't like. Like, I got to let you know what you're doing that's wrong that's it. versus here's what you're doing that's right. And like, if he's too that. slow, you've got to be like, yo, I love it when you're fast. I love it when your tongue is flickering really quick. Like, just, that's it. Yeah. Even if they never did the shit. Right. <laughs> it's inception. Did I do that? <laughs> yo, I had a, I, I know about this because I had someone tell me they loved when I licked their balls and I've never licked their balls. And I was like, is he confusing me with someone? And I was like, oh, he's just telling me. He listens to horrible decisions. He's taking tips on how to communicate that. Bastard. But that's the thing. A lot of people feel uncomfortable saying what they like because they don't want to intimidate their partner with the fact that they know more or that they're an expert in this area. Yeah. And that's I always say to people, everybody should feel empowered to call themselves a sex expert, especially if you know how to have sex with yourself. What makes someone a sex expert? I mean, you're a public sex expert. That's very different. You have information that you can share with others. But if I know my body inside and out in a way that nobody else does, I'm an expert on my body and how to have sex with this body. Mm. And so I have information for you that could drastically change your performance with me, which matters if you want to have sex with me. Yeah. So I think an expert is somebody who's got information that is pertinent to the other person's happiness or well-being. And if you want to fuck somebody, knowing how to have sex with them is pertinent to those two things. So it's a great way to do dirty talk too, if you're like yes. scared of dirty talk. Can I, you do a live tutorial right now, how to own your expertise in the bedroom by telling your partner exactly what you want? So for you, what would it sound like? A live tutorial? Yeah. Okay. I can't do it in the moany voice because it makes me get, I'm not a good actress, but for one, I start talking, I always say my pussy. Some people hate that word. I always say, you make my pussy feel so good. Don't stop fucking me like this. Blah, blah, blah. I love telling people not to stop. Even if they look like they're exhausted and breaking a sweat, you can have a stroke, bitch. Keep going. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? I tell them about how I feel like I'm going to explode. Like I always say how they're making me feel amazing. Really, my dirty talk is compliments. Mm. Because I feel like if I blow your head up, I'm going to come. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because that's what I need. But also I'm an attention whore. Well, I love that though too, because you're the expert and you make other people feel like they're the expert. That's the gift you give in the bedroom. That's a good point. I have a new dog. I've been talking to her like this the whole time. And like... I want to know where this is going. She's been fucking up a little bit. But like, when she's been doing good? Oh my God. Nina's made a good pee-pee. Nina's the best pee-pee girl. Keep pee-pee, Nina. Oh my 
my God, it's crazy. And she could have just took a shit on the floor. And yes. I was like, Nina is the best PP girl ever. Shout out to Wheezy for always, and I mean really always, coming through with the raw and informative, deliberate, relatable experiences. And if you want to get to know Wheezy more, I honestly think you should go to her Instagram. So it's at Wheezy WTF. There's also links there to her other podcasts in addition to, like I said, um, the WTF Media Studios, which is an incredible place just to power your next big idea um, or your big mouth which is where my big mouth was powered during this episode. So again, shout out to WTF Media Studios. Now, there were a lot of things to take away from that conversation, but what stood out to me is how the feminine often feel the need to tiptoe around what they want. And this doesn't just show up in the bedroom, but how do we not let this stop us from advocating for ourselves? To continue this conversation, I brought in my sister and lead producer of this podcast, Lauren Morrison, who is a career performance coach for women of color, to find out how the strategies that she gives to women in the workplace could parallel with how women advocate in the bedroom. But more on that after this. You are here to spice up the people's life, to get them energized, to give them the answers. Because there's a lot of people with the ho-hum energy of like, oh, I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to inconvenience people with my truth and my needs. Yeah, because it's one thing to say, you know, never dull your shine for anyone else to say that in theory. But then in practice, it's very difficult. That resonates just on so many levels, like outside of the bedroom. And, you know, especially as a, as a woman who worked in predominantly male arenas, you were constantly, like the key to success was always navigating the male ego. And I think that for women coming into spaces and starting to dominate in spaces that were predominantly or historically male-dominated, mm-hmm. that's a tough one. You work as an executive coach. Right. You coach hundreds of people. Yes. And so... Being around women in particular who are not comfortable owning their expertise, owning their shit is not uncommon to you. No, I think it always comes down to you choose your heart. Living in a, in a way that is sexually unfulfilling is hard. Advocating for your needs and potentially making someone else feel uncomfortable is hard. But the only reason that you're going to choose one path or the, over the other is because you're willing to accept that the pain of one heart is greater than the pain of the other. So I think that, you know, yeah, we could all say advocate for your needs, but maybe for you, it's not that hard for you to go along with the flow. Like maybe you're having mediocre experiences, but you aren't really invested in extraordinary experiences. But if you really feel like there's so much that you believe that you know you could be missing out on, maybe you've had experiences with another partner and then come into an experience with a new partner and be like, actually, I know what I'm missing. Mm -hmm. Not ever feeling that again is not a hard that I want to live with. So I will need to choose the hard of saying to my partner, could we try something different? But doing it in a way that doesn't make them, what does Jared always say? You know, uh, do it in a way that doesn't provoke their ego. That becomes the challenging part of it. And I think asking that question of like, what becomes possible if? And it's also part of the reason why I even moved to Los Angeles is because asking myself, what could be possible? What does five years look like if I stay in Canada versus what does five years look like when I, if I were to move to LA, if I were to say yes to this opportunity, it's scary, it's uncomfortable, but there's an elevation there that is, that, that excites me, that is, that is curious to me. So I would take that risk. And to your point, it's not to say that anything was wrong with what was going on with my life. But I got to a point where it's like, you only have one life. So what becomes possible if I shake this one thing up? Now, there is the question of, because in all logicalness, advocating for your needs, talking about what you're great at, sharing information that could be valuable to another person's success or to how to please you is positive. Yeah, These are all incredible things. And I like what you said just about the work that you did in corporate in navigating the male ego because you were in predominantly male environments. 
And so do you have any tips for that? Because I don't even want to say male because I think it's more masculine centered because I believe that people who are in same sex relationships with somebody more masculine, there is this fantasy that the masculine in the relationship is the dominant in the bedroom Mm -hmm. and they take care of the pleasure and they show the other person what's possible for their bodies. So that narrative I think still exists. So when we're trying to shake that up, kind of similarly to women now entering into executive positions and shaking that up, on one hand, you do have society saying, we want more of that. But when you're actually in those environments, you may not feel that same welcome energy. What do you do? I think that the important thing there, and it's not necessarily a very popular opinion, but it's probably the best advice that I was ever given. And it's really helped me to navigate my way into successful situations, uh, whereby it's focusing on what can you do to make the other person look good. In a corporate setting for me is what can you do to make your boss look good? Because then you kind of open up the doors and you invite more collaboration. I think that's fascinating. But then it also can just give people the ease of, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. Because I was actually thinking about this in reflection to the episode of like, what can everybody learn from gay men about how to have great sex? I thought, what can everybody learn from straight women about how to have sex? And I'm like, straight women know how to make their partner feel like they're so much bigger, better, harder, faster, stronger, longer than they actually are. Like that's our superpower. So- while that's great on one hand, it's also created a culture where there's a lot of masculine people who think that they're phenomenal in the bedroom and as a result, don't lead with curiosity. But what is the intent behind making that person feel good, right? So it's like, there's an intent of like, oh, let me not, not just, just not rock the boat versus the intent of, let me not let me make this person feel good. Let me show them the, all the things that they're doing in order to open up a dialogue of thing, other things that I would like to see. And I think that that's the part that could be missing. Because if you aren't, do, if you are just making people like, if you're just bigging people up without intent, then absolutely, you're just going to stay there. But if you use it strategically to open up conversations, to open up resources, to take advantage of the fact that a person now feels more comfortable with you and feels better about themselves around you, and use that as a gate opener for their own curiosity, I think that that's the second part that. If that gets missed, you're right. They're not going to do you any, they they may not do you any favors. I wonder if this is a case of yes and versus no but versus just yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're just giving yes. (laughs) You got this, you got this. Longest stroke, amazing. I orgasm 50,000 times. (laughs) You know, that's the energy. It's the yes, but the and is missing. I think adversely what happens a lot though is people think that the response should be no but. That- you're just giving the yeses and you're not getting the, well, what would you like in return? Right. How do I give you a yes? And so you think that the approach to switching that up is to tell the person what they're doing wrong. Right. People don't respond well in general to doing things that they're told to do. In general, people are more excited about things when it is their idea. It's a different conversation when you actually are become curious about another person and get them to come to those conclusions. Sometimes they're your conclusions, mm. but get them to come to those conclusions on their own. So I guess in the conversation, it's not, not necessarily about how do I tell my partner what I want to do in the bedroom, but it's like, how can I get curious about what makes for a better sexual experience overall. Because the inception thing, I think, works when everybody has really clear objectives. But in sex, we don't always have the same objectives. If if the objective is mutual orgasm, that's easy. But some people's objective is like, I want to be degraded. Um, (laughs) I'm going to be honest, that's my objective. And it's never Jared's. So I have a very tricky time with that of like, you know, you could be a little meaner to me. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like... You know, like we discussed before, you know, just uh, rough it up a little bit. And so it's not ever going to be his idea. But I think it's also a big part of it, too, is realizing that asking and advocating for what you want doesn't mean that immediately that's you're going to get it. Norm. No, it's playing the long game. And to your point, if you're just kind of into like rapid sexual interactions, you're not in it for the long game. So tell the person what you want. They're not down. Then go ahead. Like, just move on. Like, I think it's kind of asking what's the worst that can happen in this scenario. And am I okay with that? I think that advocating for your needs in any scenario doesn't give you instant gratification all the time, but it does plant the seed in someone else's mind so that they can now become more aware or start to prioritize 
um, ideas in their mind that weren't there before. So even for you to say to Jared, I want to be dominated. What was it? Let's go with that. Repressed? No, (laughs) dominated is good. His knee jerk reaction is like, I I don't know how I'm going to do that. But the seed is there. And now the next time he has a conversation with someone where maybe that comes up, he might be more open to that discussion and learning more about that now that he understands that that's something that you want. But in the moment, he has no resources for that. Yeah. If you don't tell someone what you want, whether that is a promotion, whether that is more money, then they're off going and having conversations that could potentially benefit you, but they don't know to prioritize your needs in those conversations. I was going to say that. That's actually a fascinating point to me because somebody brought up in one of their voice notes that they're less inclined to tell a hookup partner what they want than someone they have emotional attachment to. And I'm a very big fan of practicing when the stakes are low. Right. Like you don't try I to agree dunk a that. basketball in a game. Yeah. You try by yourself alone. Yeah. And then you add a couple like playmates and you spar a little bit. Or what's the word I'm looking for? Spar? Yeah, spar is a good one. No, not with basketball. Uh, you, scrimmage. Uh, scrimmage. You scrimmage, a, a little, scrimmage a little bit. We're a sporty podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a good example of that in uh, This Is Us, where the the girl, she believed that she was a lesbian. So her uncle took her to a drive-thru and made her come out to the drive-thru guy. Oh, that's a great example. Yeah. So yeah. tell your sexual desires to a drive-thru <laughs> to person. To the drive-thru guy, just to practice getting it out there yeah. on something that is really, there's no stakes. It's great. It's good. Mm. People should be pleased with this. And even if they're not. We did it! Yes, we're nauseous and we're gassy and we're out of breath and we're tired. But we're doing this 2022 thing and we're doing it together and we are a force to be reckoned with. And I want to shout out the forces who really made this episode spectacular. Once again, to Wheezy, um, who is on Instagram at WheezyWTF. Also... And we give a huge shout out to this is Lauren Elizabeth. Now, if you are inspired and you are moved, you want to make the move with Lauren by your side. Lauren has been a part of so many of the most integral, scary, and important moves in my life. And I am so proud to be able to say that she can be a part of yours too. So go to make the shift coach.com. Sign up for the mailing list. Off the top, you'll get some free tools. She has a course that's launching in 2022. She does one-on-one work and just in general, so much free material just to really give you the kick in the ass that you need because whether you're into BDSM or not, we all need it. Speaking of things that I need, I need your five-star review. You know what? Actually, I'm not going to try to say that. You can give how many stars you feel is appropriate but I just need your review and rating. These ratings inform the public that there are people who watch the show because there's no view count and there's no comments when it comes to podcasts. So this is how you show up for me. How I show up for you is through my daily work. So make sure you're following me on Instagram at Shan Booty to stay in touch with that. That's also how I do my community reach outs. If you want to collaborate on future episodes and share your input because it's all about you, boo, in 2022. I'm sure it was all about you last year too, but maybe it didn't rhyme and now it does. So let that be the excuse that you need to advocate for yourself. Happy New Year. Bye. Lovers and friends. Uh, I'm gonna take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I said, lovers and friends. Uh, I'm gonna hold you down, down to the end. I said, lovers and friends. Lovers and friends, yeah, and I said, lovers and friends, uh, I'ma hold you down, down to the end, I said. Lovers and Friends is executive produced by Shared Entertainment, Shamboodram and Lauren Morrison. Also produced by Stitcher's Jackie Sojiko, Two West Entertainment and Workhouse Media. Our mixing engineers are Brendan Burns and Marcus Hom. The Lovers and Friends theme song is produced by Sean Ross and performed by Jared Brady, who also does the scoring and sound design. Jasmine Henley-Brown is the executive producer at More Sauce, and this podcast is powered by More Sauce from Stitcher.